let us turn our attention to the scripture this morning. The gospel lesson comes from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It's what's known as the Great Commission. It is our tradition to stand in honor of the gospel. So if you would like to do that with us at home, you are welcome to do so. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us allow the Holy Spirit to inspire us and to hear a word from the Lord this morning. Friends, will you pray with me for a moment as we take a breath? Gracious and holy God, we pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable to you. Amen. As we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, I want to remind you that ever since Easter Sunday, we have been uh, going through the appearances of Jesus to the disciples, recognizing this very limited time where he wants to say all that he can, inspired them to move from being followers of his to being leaders on their own. So, as the author of Matthew writes the gospel, you have to wonder, how do you end? And so it comes today to this place in the gospel, the very end of the gospel. Matthew is a gospel that has drawn a very clear line, wanting to make sure that everyone who reads or hears the gospel knows that the prophecies in the Old Testament point to Jesus as the Messiah. And so these last words of Jesus's are the very end to the gospel with this charge to keep. It's a call to action on a mountain where the resurrected Jesus says to his followers, go and do these things. Our text emphasizes these last instructions, the final, final parting words of Matthew. Pastor Sharla already told you that these words are often called the Great Commission, and they're not just limited to people who are missionaries who go to foreign countries, even though very often they are the words that help guide those ministries. This is a charge that Jesus gives to his followers where he sends them out into the world. He invites us to take this charge to heart as well, that we are being sent as the people of God. We are being asked to take to heart all of the people who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ yet. I love that in this small section in the charge that we have this phrase, some of them doubt, doubted. 
Because it shows that even at that time, the followers were not perfect, yet Jesus deemed them worthy anyway. He doesn't require perfection in those he calls. Instead, he equips those of us who were called and sent for the business of giving our hearts away despite our messiness. Here in Matthew, we understand that doubt is just a part of faith and discipleship. Now, I love the Great Commission and this call to action because I, uh, it fits my personality. I'm a doer. I would much rather be given a task or something to do than to be asked to maybe sit still or be quiet or contemplate or meditate. Those are not things that I am wired to be good at. But sometimes in our lives, we get so busy just being busy that we miss the point. That is not what Jesus calls us to. He doesn't say just be so busy that you don't have time for anything else. He's very, very specific about the action words, the verbs that he uses uh, to give instructions. The first is go, the second is make, the third is baptize, then teach, and very last, remember. Go, make, baptize, teach, remember. These are the call to action, the verbs that Jesus uses in these final instructions. I want to unpack those one at a time. And so let's start with go. Go. He doesn't tell, uh, doesn't tell the disciples that on that mountaintop that they should stay and build a temple and remember these final words. No. So often we who have become dependent on our church buildings, uh, we miss this. We think that our our ministry and our call is to build a building and to sit in our building and to contemplate the words of Jesus. But he doesn't call us to stay and build. He commands us to go into the world. Now, in the midst of a pandemic, this is really hard when we are being called to love our neighbors by staying home. And in the text today, Jesus gathers with the 11 who are still part of his ministry. And he does this on a mountaintop. Now, we get beautiful images all through the Gospel of Matthew where he is learning and teaching on mountaintops. The one probably all of you can remember is that Jesus is tempted right after his baptism on a mountaintop. He then teaches ethical boundaries for the disciples and what it means in the kingdom of God. He's transfigured, if you remember that story, where his face glows and he seems to light up with the Holy Spirit on a mountain. His last words before his arrest are on the Mount of Olives. And so it's significant that these last words are on a mountain if we are reading the story or it is being read to us and we are hearing it, if we know this gospel, we recognize that the location matters, that something significant is about to happen. Now, one of my favorite places in the whole world is Camp Egan, and it's in a valley at the bottom of a mountain, as we have mountains in Oklahoma, that we climb regularly, and it is a 
beautiful and incredible Holy Spirit kind of place. Every time I go there, I want to stay. I don't want to leave and come back to the world where people are mean and it's full of distractions because when I'm there, it's so powerful and it's so easy to be in a community of love and grace. But I cannot stay at Camp Egan. I cannot sit in that mountaintop experience. Jesus does not ask me to stay. Jesus asks me to go. Go into the world. Go tell my story. Go share my heart of what Jesus has done for me and how he has changed my life. Go and love my neighbors. Go and forgive those who have trespassed against me. Go and turn the other cheek. It would be so much easier to stay, but that is not what we are called to. Jesus calls us into action. He sends us. So that comes to make. Make disciples. For a gospel that has been focused on the Jewish population and making sure that they get Jesus' role as Christ and Messiah, this phrase extends the gospel out to anyone with ears who might hear. It changes the message from a select chosen and few and moves it to everyone anyone who yearns to know the Holy One. And in Matthew, this discipleship is significant. It's a major theme. The author, the author refers to discipleship 70 different times in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is said repeatedly to say, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. He shows them a new way, a new way to live, and he challenges us with a discipleship that is both incredibly hard some days to live out in our daily lives, but it's also very simple, and it frees us for a life of new meaning and purpose. When I am called, as I read the text, to make disciples, I have to say, I don't know that I have ever made a disciple. I, I have taught and I have shared my life and I've done youth ministry and children's ministry and uh, I've given sermons and I've encouraged, but I can't say that I have quote unquote made a disciple. So I had to ask myself, well, what does that mean exactly? A disciple is someone who patterns their life after another. In our case, it would be Jesus. Now, do you remember the old what would Jesus do filter that was popular a long time ago? And then where we asked that question, what would Jesus do? That as we faced every situation, that we would use the sort of Jesus filter. What would Jesus do? And as cheesy as it was and still is, it's a great question. Our life reflects the values of the one we follow. So if we are to make to disciples, we are to help people live a life that reflects the life of Jesus. Not just be people who proclaim one thing and then behave in another way. 
Not just people who forget to fight injustice or stand up for the poor or love our neighbors as ourselves. Being like Jesus can feel hard sometimes, but no one ever said it would be easy. Bringing the kingdom of God into reality is really, really hard. But if we, the people of God, who pattern our lives after Jesus, if we are not willing to fight for a just world where every person is beloved, who will? One of the things my Sunday night class has talked about is this recognition that those first Christians had bad reputations. They were rabble-rousers. They believed everyone was equal, and in that society at that time, it was ludicrous. They were upsetting the rules. They were proclaiming messages that Jesus had taught them that didn't fit with what their society said. They were troublemakers in the best kind of way, the Jesus way. So we've done go and make, and I want to move you to baptize. The meaning of baptism as one of our two sacraments is significant. There's a lot of things happening there. If you are old enough, you are rejecting the powers of sin over your life. You are joining a new family. You are recognizing you are part of something that is larger than yourself. And as Jesus' baptism, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are called to invite people into this family to share our hearts with them and the love that God extends to us. But we must be careful that as we invite people in, that we know them, that we share our stories and their lives. When my son was at OSU, he used to send, he'd shoot a picture of the preachers who would come and stand on a box and proclaim that everyone was going straight to hell and they needed to repent and be baptized. And a part of him was embarrassed that his mom would be associated with people like that. And another part of him was that he felt bad for all the the words that were hurled at this man on his box on the campus. Which reminded me of a beautiful book that I read that maybe some of you have read. Barbara Kingsolver wrote this book called The Poisonwood Bible. It's a book about a Baptist missionary who, despite the church telling him not to go to Africa at that time because it wasn't safe, decided that he knew better. He took his wife and his daughters and he moved to Africa and he uh, lives in this village and he preaches and he proclaims repentance and knowing Jesus and he is begging the villagers to go into the river and be baptized And in the entire book, we don't hear his voice. We see him through the eyes of the ones in his family. And his wife and his daughters, they write about, while he's proclaiming the news, they are meeting the villagers, uh, learning the language, hearing the stories of the people that they are living with every day. And what the daughter points out that the father never learns is that the river is full of crocodiles. And that is why no one wants to be baptized in that river. Why do I tell you this story? 
because we cannot invite people to be baptized until we learn their language. We get to know their lives. We share our life with them. We hear them, what they're about, where they've come from, and the things that are on our hearts. Then we can invite them into what we have to share for them. Go, make, baptized. Teach is the next one. Now, I don't want you to stop listening and be like, whoa, I don't teach. I don't know how to teach. The reality is we all learn so much when we teach. So often we would rather just simply consume and listen and let someone teach us. But Jesus doesn't call us to learn. (laughs) Did you hear that? He calls us in his final words, he calls us to teach. This is so much deeper. We are required to learn in order to teach. And the reality is we teach others every day with our words and our actions, whether we like it or not. Everyone who is a believer teaches in the way that they live their lives, the things that they are passionate about. And for those of us who are parents, we teach every day whether we realize it or not. John and I's very favorite movie is Parenthood starring Steve Martin. It's not appropriate for your kids, but it's a great movie to watch. (laughs) And in this movie, there's four siblings and their kids, they're all trying to raise their kids and it's so funny and such a mess. But one of the scenes that I think about all the time is when Steve Martin's character is lamenting that his son has turned out just like him. And he's disappointed that his son would biologically and by habit and by watching his father turn out just like him. The classic phrase, do as I say and not as I do, has never worked. So if that's something you say, I'm sorry, but you're teaching by your actions. We are all teaching by our actions. They scream our values and our priorities. We do not need to be perfect for others to see our faith, but they need to see us struggle and overcome. They need to see us on our knees when we are at the end of our rope. They need to see us lean into our faith when life gets hard. They need to see that we don't know all the answers, but we know how to read and search and ask for help. These are the gifts that we teach to others with our lives and our words and our responses to them. I ask you, what? Are you teaching with your life? Go, make, baptize, teach. And finally, this last sentence, remember. Remember I am with you always. This is the best news of all. No matter where we are, What we have done, what we face, we are never alone. Jesus says, I've got your back. I am always there. 
I read a beautiful article this week through the New York Times about different leaders across the world who had wept as they spoke about their cities, their families, their loss in the midst of this pandemic. And we, we have lived in a world that has said if someone cries and is a leader that they are unfit. But we are seeing different leaders now, people who know how we feel, how we are grieving, and their grief is real. Their loss is real, and we are connected in a way that has transcended time before. Here's the thing about that. Jesus wept. Jesus had friends. Jesus felt pain. He is reminding us in these final words that he understands the frailty and the strength that comes with being human. This is the good news, that we are never alone, that he is always with us. Pastor Charla reminded me this week that John Wesley, on his deathbed, reached out, grasped the hands of those who were with him, and said, the best of all is God is with us. Once we become the people of God, our hearts are not our own. We are called not to sit in contemplation, but to be people of action. We are charged to go, make, baptize, teach, and remember. We are called to give our very hearts away to the one who gave his heart to us.